This episode of The Pitch is brought to you exclusively by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's where State Farm Small Business Insurance comes in. State Farm agents are small business owners themselves, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. From Gimlet Media, I'm Josh Muccio, and this is The Pitch. On today's episode, a founder pitches his startup meant to provide turnkey mobile apps for retailers. He insists it's unlike anything else on the market. But in a world where it seems everyone has an app, can he convince investors there's really an opportunity here? Phil Nadell is with Forefront Venture Partners. Phil is all about the numbers. He'll only go in on a deal if he can make the math work. If for some reason the members don't bite, then the thing falls apart. Jillian Manis is with Structure Capital. She's quick to size up the potential in a startup and its founder. And you can count on her to put her money where her mouth is. There is no doubt in my mind that you're going to do this. I really feel that. Daniel Galati is with Comcast Ventures. He loves the high stakes of venture capital, and he'll take a gamble on a long shot startup if he senses an opportunity in the billions. I think the only way to make money in VC is um, to take a non-consensus view that turns out to be right. And finally, on today's episode, angel investor James Altucher. He looks for strategic investment opportunities where he can bring his expertise to help a startup really get off the ground. I would be happy to advise your company. I'm sorry, and us is a potato chip? Uh, it's a brand. Yeah, yeah. It's a pretzel, too, right? They make pretzels, don't I don't they? know. Oh, but if you, you want in the TV show Mad Men, even they're featured, uh, it's potato chips. Hey, hello. How are hey, you? Yeah. What's hey, your name? how are you? I'm Sterling Smith. Oh, great wh- to meet what you, a Sterling. wholesome name. Thank you. There's Sterling's a lot of alliteration uncle. in that name. Isn't it's that great. Sterling Smith? Sterling Smith. Your mother. I feel like that could be like a superhero name yeah. with a secret identity. Yes. If Sterling is a superhero, it's safe to say this pitch is his first time donning a cape. Under the lights in front of the investors, he looks nervous. So yeah, again, my name is Sterling Smith, and I'm the founder and CEO at Sandbox Commerce. So so I so four four years ago, I decided to leave my my career at a management consulting firm to start Sandbox Commerce. So my friend said, "What the hell are you doing?" Uh, I had a pretty comfortable potential opportunity to stay there for the next twenty years for the next twenty years, uh, but I kind of already saw the glass ceiling. So I could tell that, you know, my limit, my, my options were limited working for that, for that company. So I decided to start. All right. So Sterling's a little rocky out of the gate, but the story he's sharing is your classic entrepreneurial journey. He had a good cushy job as a software developer in DC and was all set to put his career on cruise control for the next 20 plus years, but he got the startup itch. And so he traded it all in to move to Austin, Texas and start Sandbox Commerce. His company takes the knowledge he gained as a software developer and puts it to use building mobile apps for retailers. 
what we learned after building several mobile applications for retailers was that it took on average six six weeks for us to build it, but it would charge the a retailer would 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 pay us nearly $250,000 a year, incredibly expensive and incredibly time consuming. Sterling realized this was a huge pain point for retailers. They wanna be able to offer the convenience of an app to their most loyal customers, but customized apps were too costly for most retailers. So Sterling created Sandbox Commerce to give them a plug and play solution. Our platform helps those retailers save you know, six months and nearly $250,000. Uh, uh, and it, and we've, been, we've been working on that for about the, the last 18 months. And we believe that Sandbox Commerce is a platform that provides opportunities to like no other platform that exists on the market today. Sterling hopes to raise $250,000 to help make Sandbox Commerce the premier company for retail mobile apps. But first, he needs to calm his nerves and convince investors they should take his pitch seriously. I'm a retailer, and I want to make an app so that people can buy on their phones my products. What do I What do I go to you for? Yeah, so you simply visit our website. You enter some basic information. We use your existing e-commerce uh, platforms API to pull in your data, and then- Why don't you show us the product? I think yeah. it'll help us yeah, visualize a little bit more. I yeah, so I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you two pieces of the product. I want to show you. Sterling pulls out his computer and shows the investors the app designer dashboard, which, as the name implies, takes you through the steps to easily design your app. And as soon as he starts showing off Sandbox Commerce, Sterling's jitters start to melt away. So this this right here renders in real time. So you see okay. how the load, this banner is here. As you paste those in, mm -hmm. and then you go to the bottom and click Save and View, it actually updates uh, in this emulator on the left-hand side. That's great. And do do I have to speak with a salesperson or anyone before I start? No, so you come through. So we won an IBM UX UI award for the usability of our, our It Looks page. great. So you can come in and just start so, playing yeah. around and editing. I think that's really interesting. That yeah, so, it's this low friction way to kind of visualize an app. So effectively, a mobile retailer, non-technical person, typically in the marketing department, would visit our website, click, um, you know, discover Sandbox Commerce, and then actually go down this list and and enter in all the details. At this point, it feels like Sterling has hit his stride. That nervous, shaky founder who opened the pitch is but a distant memory, and you can feel it in the room. As he grows more confident, the investors start to really engage. Okay, and what's the size of retailers? So, yes, yeah, so online retailers who are generating at least a million dollars in revenue. So uh, why would they need you, though? They already have apps, right? Yeah. They already have a bunch. So, yeah. so no, so 2% of retailers have mobile applications right now. Really? Wow. That's shocking. Uh, two yeah, percent. That's the whole market, which includes retailers yeah. doing. But that's two yeah. percent of the, That's two percent of the number of retailers. Yeah. So if you're looking at the 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 IR five hundred, which is yeah. a sampling of the top five hundred retailers in the market, sixty percent of those retailers have, don't have don't oh, have a mobile don't app. Have don't have a mobile 60? app. Sixty. Sixty. That's shocking. Don't have a mobile app. And why? Because it's a very risky proposition. If you are a retailer and you want to build a mobile app, in the case of a, of a smaller retailer who's generating a million dollars or more in revenue, yes. that retailer is spending a quarter of a million dollars the first year to build that mobile application. Yes. Okay. So, so a, a brand like 
Cabela's or Macy's is spending at least a million dollars per app store today. Okay, using our platform, they're spending a fraction of that. And so we're giving you with a, a single SaaS fee, a turnkey solution that you don't have to worry about. This turnkey solution costs a lot less than that million dollar price tag. For an app on either iOS or Android, Sterling's company offers a basic package at $500 a month. For an app in both app stores, double that. You might be thinking, a thousand bucks a month for just an app? I've seen way cheaper options. But not so, says Sterling. Not for what they're building. Fully native apps. Yeah, yeah. So we are the only company that builds fully native apps. There's There are responsive web apps that if you visit a website on your phone, it looks good, it performs well enough, but it does, it's not as, it's not, it doesn't perform as well. It doesn't, you don't typically have access to your camera if you need to do augmented reality, or you can't really take advantage of uh, location uh, awareness. You really can't take advantage, in many cases, of push notifications. There are wolves in sheep's clothing that are building mobile apps that you can download from the app store that are actually using technologies like PHP without getting the weeds. Those are those are web technologies. Who are those wolves? Do you want me to put them? I don't want to really put them out there like well, that. Are we talking? Are we talking wolves? the square spaces of the world? Yeah. So uh, no, not square spaces. Although I will. Well, say whoever they are, these so-called wolves do build mobile apps, but they are not customized to iOS or Android, so they're unable to take advantage of the great technology already built into your phone, and therefore their apps kind of suck. But according to Sterling, the fact that he's building fully native apps isn't even the best part of Sandbox Commerce. So the real honey is we are the first company that takes it even one step further. We provide you with the ability to know exactly who those customers are and actually learn from those customers in real time where they live, who they are, what they like on Facebook. If they're using iPhone 6 Plus or iPhone 5, you're seeing when the last time they open a push notification, how many items they have in their cart. You're, you're seeing the detail. Now on the surface at a micro level, that's pretty cool. But at a macro level, if you can say anyone in Austin, Texas, who is between the ages of 18 and 35, send them a push notification and let them know that we're having a pop-up shop and that if they bring their device, they can get free Kool-Aid, whatever the heck. So this, as Sterling would say, is the honey. When a customer uses a retailer's app, Sandbox Commerce is able to collect data about those customers for the retailer. The assumption is, of course, that this will help them better market to these customers. Amazon, for example, has an insane amount of data on people's buying habits, and they use it to sell more stuff. But if you're a retailer that sells on Amazon, you don't get access to that info. Amazon hogs that sweet, sweet data for themselves. Now, using Sandbox Commerce, retailers will have their own little stockpile of data. What does that do for them? It gives, it, 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 the moment that I showed them this dashboard the first time, they were like, wait, wow. The first customer we showed this, they were like, okay, the mobile store builder was super sick and we've worked with you early on to, to grow the business, but this, like, okay, this is, this is special. Like what they, do they do with that data? Um, so they learn where the customers are. So what did they do with that? So, so they're sending, they're adding them to their email marketing drip campaigns. Sorry, they're adding them to their email marketing drip campaigns and beginning to correspond with those customers. How does a brand, uh, you know, as 
How does a brand convince users, hey, you need our app as opposed to finding us on the web in Amazon or Walmart? Excellent question. A company like any brand can do this. The example that I can give JLab Audio, they have their customers when they purchase their headphones from Best Buy, Target, and um, Best Buy, Target, or Amazon, in the packaging, they have a getting started guide that says, hey, first charge up your headphones, then download the mobile app. Then go to this custom screen that I developed using Sandbox Commerce and, and follow the steps to actually burn in your headphones and say, and then- and Give then, me another company. Give so me an example that, of say, another company. That, let's of say that, so beard.com would, would, would send in a, a coupon that says, take off 15% of your mobile application, uh, of, of, your, of your razor, your, your shaving cream, of your next purchase, if you download the application and enter this discount So it sounds code. like they're all post-purchase incentives, right? Are you concerned that generally consumers don't like to download more apps anymore so, so because they have so many? And so that that is that was a preconception. That's a, a commonly held belief. Um, I think that there are a couple of reasons why that that is that that is not necessarily the case. So, for example, so the twenty percent of folks that download the apps, tip uh, a brand's app is the brand enthusiast. They're already following them on Snapchat, Instagram, and Facebook, and that that twenty percent typically generates eighty percent of the revenue. You have to have a compelling reason for every retailer to get their customers to download an app. And it's, I don't think it's easy to do. We're really focusing on driving and customer engagement. But the, but, but the reality of the situation is that a customer doesn't need to keep the app on their phone. A customer simply needs to log in one time and you've got that valuable data. They can download the app, um, uh, uh, register one time and delete the app and you've got the data. So what Sterling is basically saying is, hey, we don't even need people to use the apps we make for retailers. All they need to do is get people to download the app and sign in one time. And Sterling gets this treasure trove of data that he can pass on to his retailers. So tell us about the IP around this. Do you have patents around this? Is is this obviously proprietary? This is proprietary. We don't have any patents at this moment. Have you filed one? We are in the process of filing a provisional patent for one of the things that we're working on. I think where Jillian's getting at is where, where's the defensibility here over the Correct. long term, right? That's exactly so the question. we see Squarespace, we see all the platforms, Magento, Shopify, etc., and we're kind of thinking, are they going to do this? And and one of the answers could be you have some, you have all this data, right? And so is there some sort of data network effect thing? There's where certainly a network effect. You get all this data from all these retailers, and that makes you sort of target better. And yeah. So, that, so, so, so talk so, through that. For those not already in the know, network effect is when the more people use something, the better the product becomes. For example, Google is a popular search engine, so more people tend to use it. And the more people who use it, the better the search results it gives because Google is learning from every single user. And this is one of the reasons why it is so hard to knock off big tech companies. They have such a massive head start in refining their product. The network effect is, is a, a very important component. I think that once we have 100 retailers on the platform, we then have industry information. So I think that's really interesting. So no, and so that's that, that's so really what we're talking about. Talk about that a little bit, so, but I'm not following. So so many companies, we I'm talking to you fast, sorry. That's okay. That we are a we are the we we are positioning ourselves to be that leader, that thought leader in this space. Uh, we have a ton of information, we have a head start. What we need is investment dollars to help us market this platform. It's ready 
ready to go. But where I was going was something more specific, which is how does retailer 103 benefit from the 102 retailers that you already have? You've got all this data around these audio, what's that company's name? JLab Audio. JLab Audio's customers, right? You know the names of the customers, you know their purchase frequency, you know their usage frequency. And so if you get the third audio company signing on to Sandbox, Mm Can we cross market to different customer bases? Can we segment across different uh, companies? And and that's where I think it becomes really defensible and really valuable is if we can if we can say to the thousandth customer, you benefit from the nine hundred ninety nine other customers that already signed on. The network effect of the data and the the ability to provide even our existing retailers with automated information about the data you know, on a recurring but basis. Talk, but it's a, it's Daniel's lab. vision of the of the network effect is appealing, but I don't know if that's your that vision. Is my, so yes, Daniel articulated in part, Daniel, you took my thunder, in part, thank Sorry, you. Man. No, I, no, I thank thunder you for that. Thunder stealer. No, I, th- I thank you for that. I'm no. just borrowing your thunder. No, no. You can we, can share, we can share it. We can share. You can have your no, thunder but, but no, you're asking a very serious question. I want to I give you due, due diligence there. The reality of the situation is that almost every company that you hear from on the pitch is going is, needs to be moving toward machine learning and art, artificial intelligence. And I think that as we grow and we the, the more customers we have, the more valuable the business gets. And so as we grow, that network effect provides us with industry data based on verticals like, appa- like apparel, electronics, et cetera, for each of our brands. That industry okay, data so seems different so to me slightly, than the network effect you're referring to different. where I, as the thousandth customer, benefit from all previous. It's uncertain whether Daniel and Sterling are really on the same page here, but it may not matter. They both agree that the more retailers Sterling has, the more valuable his overall product is. So how many retailers does he have? So you, how many customers do you have now? So we've got so we've got Did beta. Eight, eight of eight on beta. We've got we've got ten, uh, ten paying customers. So what's that in revenue? Five thousand a month. So you have five thousand a month. Yes, thing, yeah, and then and then the others are we're, we're converting. We're still learning from those customers. It seems like you build a really great product yep. and um, can totally see retailers using it. Mm-hmm. I just want to understand: is this a ten million, hundred million, billion, ten billion dollar market? Thirty-six right? billion dollar market. So how do you? So let me tell you how I would think about market size okay. here, which is. You say you're going after the middle market, Correct. right? Ten million to fifty million, to ten million to hundred million in revenue. I think about market sizes: how many retailers exist in that sort of bucket? Mm-hmm. How many of them don't have an app? And what's your sort of annual price per retailer? Right. And really backing through to the market. I just worry that we're going after a nice hundred million dollar market, but not a ten billion dollar market. That's excellent. So the total addressable addressable market. Our addressable market is six is thirty six billion dollars currently right now. But you, but you and that's yeah. You that. can't think you, you can't, can't think, think of it as total retail spend. Yeah. You got to think about it as what revenue can we get from our target segment? Which right. Is he said, but he said that thirty six billion a year is being spent by these retailers on, on mobile. mobile. If you look, but at, you're not going to get. No, no, no. We'll get we'll get a percentage. Yes, I like that. I don't like that percentage though. That's like saying everybody in China needs a refrigerator. I'm going to get one percent of that. But that's why we need to go bottom up and talk about how many retailers. Basically, Daniel is saying, yeah, maybe you can estimate your market at 36 billion, but chances are it's a lot smaller than that, maybe even closer to 100 million. 
And if you're playing on the level that these investors are, that distinction is pretty crucial. And how much are you raising now? We're raising, so we're raising a bridge round uh, effectively to focus on sales and marketing, we, uh, sales and marketing, uh, and at 250 right now. And we've already got 100 committed. To 250, you're raising 250 bridge at what valuation? Five million. Did um, you invest any of your own money? About 50. Okay, so this is your all in. Um, that's yeah. that's critical so, for us. So the reason why we're raising 250, I didn't get to that point yet. Okay. The reason why we're raising 250 is because we are 20 customers away from being profitable. 20 customers. Wow. So your, your goal for this business is Heck to- no. Heck no. Before Daniel can even ask, so your goal is just to get to profitability? Sterling is all over this question. I just, I'm able to go to the table for the, from a different perspective as a profitable entrepreneur. And so in January with this 250, I want to raise a much larger round, relatively speaking, and really go and really own this market. Sterling is wanting to raise the 250 now to help him get to profitability with the plan of raising a much larger round in 2018. Sterling has made his pitch. Now it's decision time. Here's Daniel. This is how I feel, which is I, I'm a huge believer in Sterling Smith, the founder. I think you're super scrappy. I think you've pulled together a team on not that much money. And you've frankly built a product that I think at least looks great relative to the other, you know, many uh, quasi competitors or similar products that I've seen in the market. My, my, I'm going to hold off on committing here because my biggest question is market size. So I don't yet know how big uh, if you get 50% market share or 20% market share of your target retailers, and I think all businesses need to start somewhere, I get the we're going after non-retailers and I get that you know story, but I think you're going to have to nail your target sort of mid-market retail segment first. So my answer is, I think it's really interesting. Would love to connect with you after the fact on market size. Excellent. To, to me, that's a, that's a good segue to my concern, which is I want to invest in a company where I can pour fuel on the fire, where, where you have a scalable way of acquiring customers and I can add money to it that'll let you explode that. That's not here yet. Plus, I'm afraid you're not raising enough money. You're going to go back and raise again very soon. Your focus is going to have to be on fundraising and not on sales yes. and marketing. I appreciate that. And, and that, that's a distraction to me. Uh, that's a distraction I'm concerned about for you. I understand. For those reasons, I'm going to have to pass. Daniel and Phil are out. Here's Jillian. You look very competent, and I like you. I I agree. You are scrappy. You are confident. You are w- very well educated in every single point and challenge we have thrown at you. Um, I like you a lot and I want to invest in you. Okay. Period, hard stop? Period. Uh, But there is, there are a couple of caveats, but don't worry. I'll take it. Okay. So here's a couple of things. First of all, I don't think you're raising enough. All right. Um, I'd like you to meet my team, my structure team at Structure Capital. One of my guys, Jacob Shea, is here in New York now. So I want you to sit down with him. He's the tech guy. He was, you know, he's he's he slams it, and so I want him to start diving into this. 
But I invest in people in a lot of ways, and I worry about your defensibility in a very big way, okay? But the fact is, is that I think you have something truly special in yourself, and I see it, and I want to be a part of this. And so let's take the next steps, all right? I can't commit a dollar sign until I really do a little bit more due diligence. I'm going to hook you up with Jacob in the next couple of days, and why don't we carry on that conversation? No, that is... That that is that sounds like an excellent plan. Okay. I really appreciate your confidence there. Okay. Jillian is in, though she's not putting a dollar figure on it quite yet. Here's James. I think you're excellent and you're in a right progression in your career. One weakness I see with you is that you haven't sold a business nor has anyone on your team. So it's very important, almost as important as the other skills combined. And so you don't have that, and that's that's a significant weakness. But but you do. I do, and so I would be willing to fill up this bridge. Uh, by the way, I'm not a venture firm. This is with me with skin in the game. I'd be willing to fill up your round, which I, I think you said is about there's about a hundred or hundred fifty left. Yeah. So I'd be willing to fill up that round or work with Jillian on filling up that round, and uh, and and I would require. Uh, a, a board seat with some significant voting rights, given that I think I would have more experience than than anybody you currently have at the moment. Awesome. You're stellar. You're sterling. Thank you so much. I'm I bet sure. Never heard that before. I know. Never. I'm so sorry. I'm not very, you know, talented on this, but no, no, I, I really, I think you're really special. I and, really appreciate that. And I look forward to getting to know you better. Absolutely. And um, I'll give ring uh, Jacob a ring at the break. Absolutely. And I and I'm here uh, until tomorrow. I can leave a little bit later if I need to. I think you probably would have to. Uh, that's not a problem. Fantastic. Okay. Good luck, Sterling. No, Thank you it's so been much. a pleasure. Thank Thanks you for so coming much. in. Thank you so much. Pleasure meeting you all. By the way, we don't know if he accepted my offer. Oh. <gasps> I accept your offer. Woo! <laughs> awesome. Deal done. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks so much. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Jillian, so thank so, you. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to well, get this there. Yeah. Thanks, Brian. After Sterling leaves the room, the investors debrief. Oh, he was awesome. Yeah. He was, he was so hard to say the only anything is- but yes to. I mean, I can see, I can find people for his company right now. I know a great salesperson for his company. I think you're also getting in at a good, like a, potentially a great price, yeah, right? If this it. guy, if you're he hits profitability. Or, or, or the structure round. This yeah. thing gets marked up, yeah. you know, once oh. he hits 20 customers. He's going to do this, okay? Yeah. He's going to do this. There is no stopping this guy. Yeah. You can tell. And every time we threw something over the bow, we shot over the bow, he would shoot right back in a very, very, though, respectful way. I'm sorry, man, but... Yeah, ooh. yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll have to... You think he'll meet? I'm hoping he meets with your team. He's going to meet that. with them today. Absolutely. And then we will get in touch uh, as well. After the break, I call Sterling to find out if that meeting with Jillian's team ended up happening and where things stand with the investments made on the show. This episode of The Pitch is brought to you exclusively by State Farm. We talk to a lot of entrepreneurs on the show, and one thread that connects them all, they're not just pitching their business, they're pitching themselves. Because small business owners know that their business is more than just a company, it's their whole life. 
And State Farm gets that. State Farm agents are small business owners too, and they know what it takes. They can help you choose personalized policies to fit your budget. That's the personal touch. That's small business insurance from State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This episode of The Pitch is brought to you exclusively by State Farm. Small business owners know that it's not just business, it's personal. Your business is your life, and State Farm gets that. State Farm agents are small business owners too, so they know what it takes. They can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. And they live and work in your community. So you're not just getting an insurance plan, you're getting that personal touch. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Welcome back. Four months after Sterling came on the pitch, I gave him a call to hear what he thought of his experience pitching to investors and to find out what's happened with the investments from Jillian and James. What do you remember from the pitch? What sticks out to you? Basically, I felt very nervous out, out the gate. I was incredibly nervous. Um, and it was, in my opinion, it was um, reflected in the pitch because I honestly, my opening was completely different than um, than I had prepared for. And I just kind of got caught off guard by how nervous I was at the very beginning. And then I kind of got my bearings back. And then I, I felt good in, after a few minutes. So after you you get in the room, you start pitching. So you're obviously a little bit nervous uh, up front. Um, but you, you, you hit your stride. The investors were like really grilling you. I mean, like they were asking the right questions, like imagining different use cases for your product. Like, did you think things were going well? Yes. Um, within a few moments, I had an idea who I should really be speaking to because it seemed evident that, you know, and it's like a lot of pitches to, you know, you probably heard when speaking with other entrepreneurs that we've pitched hundreds of times to angel investors or VCs, and you know the ones that get it. And you want you know the ones that don't, and there's very little that you can do in my experience to you know bring the real someone in who's not engaged. Yeah, exactly. So who was and engaged? So, that, uh, so I, James, I mean the whole time, James got it. He got it. It was just like, like I, I like I was speaking to his soul, and then I also felt like Jillian got it, but Jillian was Jillian was also incredibly. You know, she's savvy as hell. And so, <laughs> I mean, like, she is incredibly savvy. And yeah. so, like, a person like that can, like, you know, you think that they may have it, but you're not sure until they say yes, you know. And um, the other folks I could tell were, like, they were asking really good questions. So I think they were trying to get there, uh, but for whatever reason, they couldn't. Uh, respect, you know. Um, <laughs> but generally speaking, you know, I could tell that Jillian and James got it. That's so interesting because from my end, I'm sitting in the control room and I, I couldn't tell what James was feeling because he wasn't saying much. And so when he all of a sudden says, I want to put in 150K and I want to lead the round, I was completely stunned. Like, what mm -hmm. did that feel like in that moment? I mean, it felt, I can't, I can't describe it, Josh. I mean... I wish I could. I was I was exhilarated. 
And you know, coming back and speaking with some of our current investors about James' excitement about coming on board, um, you know, it's one of those situations to where they were like, "Oh man, James! Oh, he is awesome. We, I mean, he's he can really make an impact on your business um, in, a, in, in a positive way." And so, congratulations, um, that kind of thing. All right. So yeah, what happened after the pitch? Did you go into due diligence with him? Like what? Um, like what happened with with James? Yeah, so we nothing happened. Um, James has not invested yet. Wait, what? Really? No, he has not invested yet. I mean, you emailed him, right? Like you were. Uh, yeah, I mean, I did. It was, I tried to. Tr- I tried to tread that fine line between persistence and you know annoyance, and I. I definitely would. You know, I. Would, I tried the. Hey, I'll be in New York next week. Um, I'd love to grab coffee. Um, or are you available to jump on a call at your convenience, schedule a few times and I'll, or send over a few times and I'll, I'll respond with a calendar invitation. Okay. So like, um, you've heard nothing, nothing from him. Uh, he, he did like one of my, uh, one of my tweets. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> so, oh, that, that's great. That's really helpful. <laughs> I mean, it does suck and not to, not to downplay it, but. You know, part of my job is to secure the bag. Part of my job is to do what it takes to close it. And you know, um, if I if I can't do that, and or if the if the investor commits and doesn't, like I don't take it personally at all. Um, you know, any number of any number of things could have happened in his life that changed um, changed that, and. Um, and you know, I'm not, I don't hold it against him, frankly. Um, it, it's you know, it's just it is what it is. Yeah, I'm surprised you're taking this so well. It's been you know initially like in the in the heat of it, Josh. In the in the heat of it, like as I'm leaving the pitch, back, you know, back in Austin, I'm on cloud cloud nine. I go through all the steps. You know, it's important for me to be persistent. Uh, with all investors, including James. And um, initially it was tough. It was very tough because uh, that it felt like a lock when I walked off of the off of the stage. Yeah. And so initially it sucked. And worst case scenario, if everything busted up, we've got a whole lot of other great things going on for us. So we're not, you know, I can't, I'm not going to dwell on that because I'd still be stuck there and and not making the progress we're making right now. So... I have to say, I'm really sorry that this happened. Like uh, that we brought on an investor on our show that's this flaky. I mean, if if I recall, you're definitely human. (laughs) So I got to say, this news about James really took me aback. It felt like there had to be more to the story. So I've been calling, emailing, texting, whatever I can do to get a hold of James. And so far, nothing. He hasn't even liked one of my tweets. But in all seriousness, I'm not as much bothered that he isn't responding to me. What bothers me is that he's blowing off Sterling. It's fine if he changed his mind about investing. These things happen. But it feels like he could at least pick up the phone and tell Sterling that. The good news is, James wasn't the only one who invested in Sandbox Commerce. Okay, well, so Jillian also invested on the show, um, what ha- what happened with that? I mean, she, she didn't ghost on you too, did she? Um, 
No, no, no. All right. So, so she mentioned she would introduce you to her partner, Jacob. Um, did, did that end up happening? Yeah. So I actually met, um, met Jacob at the Ace Hotel that same bit, that very same day. The night of the pitch? That, the night of the pitch. <laughs> Jillian, made, she, she made a three-way text and was like, you need to go meet with, oh meet with Jacob. We should have followed and... you there with a microphone. <laughs> <laughs> so I met him. I, I made a beeline to the Ace Hotel. And, um, and, you know, they're, they're a traditional VC and keeping in mind, you know, we're raising, we were raising a little bit less than, you know, what, a, uh, a seed stage investor would invest. Uh, um, so we were raising 250. And so, um, the discussion we're actively having with a structure is, you know, do we come in in this round potentially, or do we come in in your price round and, uh, in, the first quarter of 2018. And so okay. that's, uh, and it's, so that's a, that's a, and, they, and they've been incredibly responsive. Uh, we've gone through uh, due diligence as well. So that's going really well. So it sounds like things are moving forward with Jillian. She may fund this bridge round, but it sounds more likely that she and Structure Capital could end up making an even bigger investment in the round Sterling is raising this January. And even more importantly, Sterling is undaunted by any of the setbacks he's encountered so far, which I think in the long run is going to serve him well. We can't wait to hear how it all turns out for him. We've got a brand new episode for you next week. Stay tuned after the credits to hear scenes from that episode. Our show is produced by me, Josh Muccio, Molly Donahue, and Kareem Maddox. We are edited by Devin Taylor. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder, with original music composed by The Musemaker and Bobby Lord. We were mixed by Enoch Kim, with help from Matt Bull. Lisa Muccio plans our recording events, and thanks to Asta Chaturvedi for her reporting on this episode. I'd like to thank Hannah Johnson and Dami Yefso with Code2040 for introducing us to Sandbox Commerce. And a quick disclaimer, no offer to invest is being made to or solicited from the listening audience on today's show. You can find us on Twitter at The Pitch Show and our email is thepitch at gimletmedia.com. All right, you've been listening to The Pitch from Gimlet Media. See you next week. Next week on The Pitch... I was this woman who loved shopping. I had nice shoes and nice pants, jeans and purses. And to be totally honest with you, I had a bra that I was wearing that was probably five years past its expiration date. And it just hit me, why are all these other companies coming out with an easier way to buy a more fairly priced commodity, yet a woman's most basic commodity is still so hard to buy? How does kind of the stitch fix model work in the underwear category? Like, do you see friction on the consumer side? And if I told you where I bought my bras, you would die a thousand deaths. Same here. New episodes come out on Wednesdays at 12 p.m. Eastern. Make sure you're subscribed wherever you listen. This episode of The Pitch is brought to you exclusively by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's where State Farm Small Business Insurance comes in. State Farm agents are small business owners themselves, living and working in your community. 
That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today.